0: Hello, this is Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist, episode 47. Welcome back. The purpose of this podcast is to discuss philosophy, psychology, and science with an emphasis on Hegel, with the aim of promoting right brain holistic reasoning, in addition to left brain either or thinking. Please follow the podcast's Facebook page, at Cunning of Geist, and also please follow me on Twitter, also, at Cunning of Geist. In this episode, I will be discussing a very important question that comes up again and again and again regarding Hegel's philosophy, and it is this, does Hegel proceed from some method? In other words, does he have an imminent process in mind which he uses to produce his voluminous philosophical writings? Now, we just had a major discussion on this in the Hegel study group on Facebook, and it comes up again again and again, and people have different opinions on it and it's quite a rich subject, so we're going to delve into it today. Now, the conclusion that I've come to is that he indeed does have a method, and this method is the movement, the life, and the evolution of thought itself. But importantly, it is not some presupposed way of thinking or preordained approach to philosophy. One of the beauties of Hegel's philosophy is that it he begins truly without any presuppositions in his thinking. This allows thought, reason to go where it may on its own. Now, this certainly presupposes a free and unbounded reasoning, which we'll discuss. And this free and unbounded reasoning and how this operates is his method. No more, no less. Now, let's back up for a second. What do we mean by the term method? Well, Looked it up in the dictionary, and according to Webster, method is, one, a systematic procedure, technique, or mode of inquiry employed by or proper to a particular discipline or art. Two, it can be a systematic plan followed in presenting material for instruction. Or three, it can be a way, technique, or process of or for doing something. And lastly, four, it can be a body of skills or techniques. Now, does this sound familiar? At all to anything Hegel does? Does Hegel's philosophy use a systematic procedure, a technique, a process, or some plan? Well, that's the $64,000 question. Now, it's my contention that Hegel does not begin with any plan or procedure other than allowing thought to develop freely on its own. But just what does this mean? Let's get into this, and this is really gonna be the subject of this episode. Now, Hegel is clear in the beginning of his Science of Logic that he starts with pure, immediate, presuppositionless being. And this is one of the most discussed and debated topics in all of Hegelianism. Is, is this correct? Is he allowed to start with presuppositionless being? Is it truly presuppositionless, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? Let me quote directly from the, the early part of the Science of Logic from Hegel. Quote, Thus the beginning must be an absolute, or what is synonymous here, an abstract beginning. And so it may not suppose anything, must not be mediated by anything, nor have a ground. Rather, it is to be itself the ground of the entire science. Consequently, it must be purely and simply an immediacy, or rather merely immediacy itself. Just as it cannot possess any determination relative to anything else, so too it cannot contain within itself any determination, any content, for any such would be a distinguishing and an interrelationship of distinct moments and consequently a mediation. The beginning, therefore, is pure being, End quote. Now, Hegel's pretty precise here. Nothing is presumed in this beginning of his in the science of logic. There's no method, there's no process, there's no technique, there's no way of thinking about things. It's just the absolute ground of immediacy, pure being. Now, critics have many objections to this. Some say, "Well, he's presupposing a thinker here. Who's 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 thinking here?" Or he's presupposing a reader of the logic. Or he's he is presupposing suppositions themselves in order to get to presuppositionlessness. And I've I've wondered about that one myself. And these are all points to consider. Now, let me explain in more detail what I think Hegel is doing here. There's a tip off. A bit earlier in the logic, Hegel states, quote, There is nothing, nothing in heaven or in nature or in mind or anywhere else which does not equally contain both immediacy and mediation. So these two determinations reveal themselves to be unseparated and inseparable and the opposition between them to be a nullity, end quote. This is a very famous sentence from the Science of Logic So given what Hegel just said here, he's very much aware of the fact that his beginning of the logic, this pure being, must be both immediate and mediated. Uh Aha! And he actually discusses this. So what is mediated here in Hegel's initial immediacy? Well, he provides the answer. Quote, The beginning is logical in that it is to be made in the element of thought that is free and for itself, in pure knowing. It is mediated... Because pure knowing is the ultimate absolute truth of consciousness, end quote. Here's what Hegel is getting at, I believe. There's both a ground and an active sense to thought, a passive and an active mode, as Hegel study group member Julian Hensel calls it when he was providing me with very valuable thinking for this, this episode. The ground is pure immediate consciousness. It is the medium in which thought manifests. Now, there's a mediation going on because pure knowing, pure reason, is the truth of the ground of consciousness. This is the conclusion that is reached in Hegel's initial work, The Phenomenology of Spirit. He goes from pure immediate consciousness in the beginning to pure knowing at the end. So Hegel is conceived of this first sublation in the beginning of the logic The logic begins with just this pure knowledge. This is the mediation between immediate consciousness and reason. So this pure knowledge, pure reason, is where we begin in the logic. Now, very interesting here, though. Hegel then brings this mediation back to immediacy. And he does this by removing any reflections or opinions from this pure knowing. He states, quote, now, starting from this determination of pure knowledge, all that is needed to ensure that the beginning remains imminent in its scientific development is to consider, rather, ridding oneself of all other reflections and opinions, whatever, simply to take up what is there before us, End quote. He continues, quote, "'Pure knowing is concentrated into this unity has sublated all reference to and other and to mediation.' It is without any distinction and is thus distinctionless, ceases itself to be knowledge. What is present is only simple immediacy. Simple immediacy is itself an expression of reflection and contains a reference to its distinction from what is mediated. This simple immediacy, therefore, in its true expression is pure being." End quote. Now, this is a very remarkable concept. Hegel is saying here that he's beginning with pure immediacy, yet this immediacy has in fact gone through a mediation within itself. And this gets around the the problem that I had about presuming suppositions to get to presuppositionlessness. So pure thought, pure knowledge goes through a self-mediation to arrive at the immediacy of presuppositionless being. And Hegel speaks to this in his introduction to the Encyclopedia of Philosophical Sciences. In paragraph 19, he says, quote, "...thought must not be taken in the sense of a method or form, but in the sense of the self-developing totality of its laws and particular terms. These laws are the work of thought itself, and not a fact which it finds and must submit to." End quote. Now, this is very important to understand thought develops its own laws and determinations which is what the logic is all about these determinations do not come from something outside or from some predetermined method so let's summarize thought is both its own background pure media consciousness which we start at the beginning of the phenomenology of spirit and its own development in this background at the same time this is the sublation this is the mediation now here's the key thing. As this thought develops on its own through the science of logic, it reaches the absolute idea. And then it returns to its beginning of pure presuppositionless being. So we have a circle. I know this is getting complicated, but just stay with me. Hegel comments on the circle and the fact that we now have arrived at a method at the end of the science of logic. So just to back up, there's a mediation between Pure consciousness and the movement of thought itself. And this is pure knowledge. And this is what we arrive at at the end of the phenomenology. And this is where we start, pure knowledge, at the beginning of the logic. Yet the, this pure knowledge must get rid of all all determinations. It must pur- purify itself to become pure being to start the beginning of the, the logical process, which it undertakes in the science of logic. So hopefully, that's somewhat clear. Now, but at the end of the logic, it comes back and returns back to the beginning. So we have a circle. Hickel comments on the circle and the fact that we have now arrived at a method at the end of the science of logic, as I said. Let me quote him, quote, by virtue of the nature of the method just indicated, the science exhibits itself as a circle, returning upon itself, the end being wound back into the beginning, The simple ground, by the mediation, the circle is moreover a circle of circles, so that in returning into the beginning, it is at the same time the beginning of a new member. Links of this chain are the individual sciences of logic, nature, and spirit, each of which has an antecedent and a successor, or expressed more accurately has only the antecedent and indicates its successor in its conclusion. So Hegel is saying that this developed circle leads back to the beginning, now with a method, but this method was not there at the beginning. And I realize this is hard to get one's mind around. But we say there was a proto-method in the beginning. That was the original sublation of the ground of thought, pure consciousness, with the movement of thought itself, which envisioned presuppositionless being. So this this is what I'm saying that there is a method. It is right here. It's no more than this. Okay. But but then as we go through the logic, the uh, the process develops itself through dialectics, through sublation, through where thought leads itself without any any direction. And, and then, as Hegel says, you end up with a method at the end. Now, the circle that Hegel talks about, it's not a dead circle. It's it's one, when it comes back to the beginning, it's, it's a new beginning. And each point in the circle, there's an antecedent and an indication of its Successor. This is an indication only, so it means that the circle is not dead. It's it's alive, and it continues to move and continues to evolve. Hegel continues emphasizing this point, quote, Thus then logic too in the absolute idea has withdrawn into the same simple unity which its beginning is, the pure immediacy of being, that is reached through mediation, that is through the sublation of mediation, the likeness correspondent to itself. But now it is also fulfilled being, the notion that it comprehends itself. Being is the concrete and so absolutely intensive totality. In conclusion, there remains only this to be said about this idea, that in, in it, first, the science of logic has grasped its own notion. This is the end of the, the science of logic. So, the logic is a circle. It's the fulfillment of thought itself. It's thought knowing itself. It's thought grasping its own concept. Now, we know that the logic, though, is not the whole of Hegel's system. His whole system includes logic, nature, and spirit in the circle, as he says. Now, it's this immediacy which is reached at the end of the logic that it becomes necessary then that it must other itself into nature. Now, it does this not in a time sense. Now, it wasn't a creation event. At least that's what I believe. Others may feel differently. No, I believe... It's logically prior, but it's, it's embedded within the entire system. Now, we choose the starting point in the circle, which is presuppositionless, as a result of sublation of immediacy and mediation, as we, as we discussed. And this is the dialectic of pure thought. And this, if, if you had to say, what is the method, this is what it is. Now, where did this dialectic of thought come from? Well, the dialectic method is fully developed. By, by the time we reach the end of the logic. So, in a sense, the child is the father, so to speak. The end of the logic is the father of the beginning of the logic. This is the circle of life. So, again, once more, does Hegel have a method? No, because no method is presumed in the start. And also, yes, because this start includes the salvation of thought itself from the ground of being to the movement of thought. And with this sublation, it is able to become itself presuppositionless and then move through the entire logic. So there is a dialectical sublation of place at the beginning. And if Hegel is said to have a method, this is it. Now, there's a few words on sublation and dialectics. Hegel scholar Stephen Holgate notes that sublation, which I've called the driving wheel of the Hegelian dialectic, well, process isn't, the imminent method of Hegel's philosophy. Let me quote him, quote, Affibung does not cast anything aside. As the absolute imminent method of speculative philosophy, it carries everything along with it. What gets lost is the purity of the category, the idea that the category is purely and simply itself and nothing more. Hegel believes that every subsequent determination will simply preserve its predecessors as a moment of itself, end quote. Again, Aufhebung is the German word uh, which Hegel uses. It's translated in English, sublation, but it really needs to be studied as its own concept. Sublation is probably not a good um, translation. It means to both lift up and preserve. And we talked about this in detail in episode 36, what this all means. So I encourage you, if you want more on sublation, to review that episode. We also did two episodes on Hegelian dialectics, episode 11, the Hegelian dialectic in episode 17, the Hegelian dialectic in reality. So again, I would encourage you to either re-listen to those or if you haven't caught those yet, go back and listen because I go into much more detail about that, about the Hegelian dialectic in those episodes. Now, we've clearly shown how the movement of thought is dialectical. Now, by dialectical, I mean that it envisions an abstract notion and it negates it by identifying its negation or othering it. And then through sublation, Aufhebung, it raises these two, these two notions into one concrete whole, finding an identity in the difference between the two. Now, Hegel speaks to this dialectical process in his introduction to the Encyclopedia of the Philosophical Sciences, which, by the way, is a great introductory read to Hegel, for those of you that are new to Hegel. Let me quote Hegel, quote, Dialectic is the very nature and essence of everything the law of things, and of the finite as a whole. Thus understood, the dialectical principle constitutes the life and soul of scientific progress, the dynamic which alone gives imminent connection and necessity to the body of science, and in a word, is seen to constitute the real and true, as opposed to the external exaltation above the finite, end quote. And immediately after this, in a note, he says, quote, It is of the highest importance to ascertain and understand rightly the nature of dialectics. Wherever there is movement, wherever there is life, wherever anything is carried into effect in the actual world, there, dialectic is at work. It is also the soul of all knowledge, which is truly scientific. And late in the same note, he notes the importance of dialectical thinking versus the common understanding, or Vistant. Quote, its purpose is to study things in their own being and movement and thus to demonstrate the finitude of their partial categories of understanding, end quote. This is so important when I keep saying that the right brain holistic reasoning is understanding things in their own being and then their own movement. Now, we've talked about Verstand versus Vernunft, the understanding versus reasoning, left brain versus right brain thinking. And uh, we've talked about this in so many episodes, but it just keeps coming back. And it's so important to understand this, this difference. The, the Vernunft, dialectical reasoning puts itself in the thing that it's thinking about. It's not seeing it as separate, but as it is. And it, it sees identity in difference. And it, this is very important. It sees the holistic big picture. Hegel makes a big deal about this. In, in his writing. Now, this is obviously before they knew what was going on with the left brain and the right brain, but he he certainly understood from his own thinking how these two different ways of rationalizing and looking at the world operate. Now, we covered the left brain-right brain dichotomy in detail in episode 10. So, again, please go back to that if you, if you want more information on this. Now, he... he did sense this key difference between the common understanding, dividing things into smaller pieces, categorizing things, finiteness, and reason, which is more holistic, seeing an identity in the difference. So this is a very important concept to understand Hegel. If you really want to understand Hegel, you've got to understand this difference. Now, as you probably gather, there's a certain triadic theme here to the dialectical method, but it's important to To point out that the triad or the triangle is not the method. We discussed in the last episode on Charles Pierce and on freedom, randomness, and Hegel, how he puts firstness, secondness, and thirdness as fundamental to the cosmos. Now, Hegel does not quite make this clear of of a statement of firstness, second, and thirdness. However, he does put his dialectic front and center, as we've seen, And in some ways, it is very similar to Pierce's firstness, secondness, thirdness. And obviously, Pierce had the benefit of coming after Hegel and and benefiting from Hegel's thinking. The key point, though, again, is that Hegel follows reason's dialectical process where it leads, and he does not try to lead it down a path from the outside. Now, we've talked about Hegel's entire system, the logic, nature, and spirit, and Hegel mentions this as a circle. But I believe, as I said, it's more like a Russian doll where they are embedded in each other. They're all all existing. And what we experience here is spirit within nature evolving and becoming more rational, becoming freer through us as individuals. I do not believe that the logic once existed on its own and then freely created nature in a creation event. I I don't believe that. Others may. I don't. I do believe that logic is rationally prior to nature. it's It's the basis of nature, but it's not separate. And it is spirit, the third part, that sublates these two worlds into one. And this sublation is a process that we're all part of. This is history. This is the historical movement of Geist, spirit, mind within the world for greater freedom and greater rationality and greater reality. From potential rationality to greater and greater embedded rationality within the world. From less of an understanding of the truly infinite to a greater understanding of the truly infinite and its relation to the finite. Of course, a key to all this is what does it mean for us? And I think it means a lot. We should not think of ourselves as entirely separate beings as the left brain would have us do. We are all individuals, yet we are also part of humanity. We should not accept the given finite circumstances of our life. We should dream, we should plan, we should take action to make things better. And making things better for ourselves always involves making things better for others as well in the long run. So by striving for a better life, a better way, we're contributing to the evolution of humanity here on planet Earth. Now, it's important that we all recognize that we're part of a culture, part of a heritage, a nation, but we also must look past this to our shared humanity and see ourselves as citizens of the world. Identity politics, or whatever you want to call it, us versus them, must not susume us, take us over. Yes, we have an identity. I'm not denying that. But we don't want to be overtaken by it negatively in terms of othering those that are different from ourselves. Now, it's obvious. Not everybody's going to agree on everything. The world is just too big. And if that were ever the case, then thinking would stop. Someone said, if everyone agrees, then no one is thinking. I believe in that. For example, there are those that believe Hegel's philosophy is worthless in this day and age, and there are, of course, those that think he's the greatest philosopher ever and many in between. Now, we should not hate those that hold different views. All we can do is express ourselves rationally, peacefully, and yes, lovingly in terms of what we believe and how we think. So that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you so much once again for listening. Please like, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your like-minded friends about it. And please feel free to share any of these episodes on social media. Most of the podcast applications allow you to do this. And if you're not already a member of the Hegel Study Group on Facebook, please check us out. And as always, all references cited here will be posted on the podcast Facebook page at Cunning of Geist. So this is Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist. See you next time.